Well, we've been asking, answering a question around here for the last couple of weeks, number four or five weeks now. Been asking this question: What's normal anyway? And so, according to Acts, this is normal anyway. This is yesterday morning. Looks warm out, doesn't it? Frigid. Uh, I think there's another one in there, maybe. And we have some we have some computer problems to get in there. There's the clan. Um, what's normal anyway is this group of guys um, and a couple of gals, or one gal, I think. Um, Ginger Scop. Is Ginger here? Ginger working. So Ginger was one of our gals. There she is. Ginger was, a, was a, one of our gals who showed up. Um, we helped Laura Finley move from that apartment building into a different, into a different house. And the reason I, th- I, t- I told these guys yesterday, I said, you guys are my sermon illustration for tomorrow. So I made Josh take a picture with his iPhone, take a few pictures of, of the group of guys and to say, answer the question, I, it was interesting, I had been planning for a long time to be preaching about this topic today, that what's normal anyway, according to the book of Acts, is serving. That that's what's normal anyway. What's normal anyway is serving. Um, serving should be normal. It was normal for the Christians that we're looking at in the book of Acts, and I want to point that out in a minute. And then I want to talk about serving um, in a way that, that I, I've mentioned before, but I want to reiterate today because I think it literally can change your life if you get a hold of what I want to talk about today. So first of all, what's normal anyways for the book of Acts, um, and you're welcome to look at these as I go through them, but I just want to give four illustrations that what was normal in the early church was, was serving. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So remember your teachers used to say, put your thinking caps on? Put your thinking caps on. Get ready because we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. And because uh, I want to really build a biblical foundation for what we're talking about, that the early church served and God wants us to be servants. So first of all, in the very beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 2, we've read it, we read it two weeks ago, the section, the section that it talks about um, the early church, how it functioned. It went from house to house, did all these different things. And in chapter 2, verse 45, it, it says in there, when it's talking about how the early church lived, a snapshot into the life of the early church. It says this in verse 45. So they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That's a pretty interesting snapshot in the early church's life. It shows them that they were serving with the love of Jesus. Matter of fact, I loved something yesterday showing us that we're acting like the book of Acts. As we were moving people and we had prayed over Laura's house, we walked out and Clem yells, why do we do this? Because we're? And that's what the whole group said, because we're people who care. And that's people who care, serve. Because you care, you serve. And that's what we see in the early church. Here's people who had their possessions, and they had their, their properties, their stuff. They have their name on it. And what did they say? They recognized, like we said earlier, it wasn't theirs. They began to sell it and give to anyone who might have need. That's serving with the love of Jesus. Then down a few chapters later, Acts 6, we come to a section, and again, we're just, I'm just hitting these really quickly to show that this is, this is Acts. It's the, the service was just throughout the whole book of Acts. Acts 6, we come to a section of Scripture that we usually look at when we're trying to talk about how churches should be developed. Acts 6 is the choosing of the what? The deacons. That there was a situation going on in the early church where the disciples were they, were, they were trying to preach the word and pray. And matter of fact, it defines in there the job of a pastor. 
It says they should, they should give themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer, that that was their job, but they weren't able to do their job because they were spending all their time serving in the church. And what were they serving? What were they talking about the service situation in Acts 6? Anybody remember? Bunch of who wasn't getting fed? A bunch of widows. A bunch of widows weren't getting fed. And so they set up a, pro, a priority or a process saying, here's what you do. Choose from among you a bunch of spirit-filled men who will head up the ministry of feeding, of feeding the widows. And what we get there is a snapshot into the life that the church um, was concerned and involved with serving people in need, even within their own, their own church family. So they were the ones who said, who's going to organize moving uh, a gal who has no truck? And need some help on that. That's basically what's happening. Because, you know, they weren't, we're not necessarily serving widows, but um, they're saying, hey, there's a need in the church. How are we going to meet it? So they were people who served in Acts 6. And it takes a whole section of a chapter to describe how the early church went about structuring it to say, this is important. We've got to get it done. Then in Acts chapter 16, 10 chapters later, and I'm, I'm skipping a bunch, but I'm just trying to highlight something to show this was just normal for them. Acts 16. In Paul, I want to show a more, maybe more spiritual, even though really anything is spiritual, because everything we do is in the kingdom. But what we look at sometimes is more spiritual. The Apostle Paul in Acts 16 has what we call the Macedonian call. You're familiar with the Macedonian call? Where he has a dream, and in the dream, a person in a dream says, now you need to come over to Macedonia. And, and remember what he says there in Acts 16, verse 9, he says this in the dream, come to Macedonia and help us. Interesting, that's what he says. Come to Macedonia and help us. And it shows something about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul saw his ministry as going and helping. It was about service. Then one more in Acts 20. Um, It records Paul's farewell um, address to the church at Ephesus. He had spent a great deal of time ministering. Well, Paul always was here and there. He was traveling. But he stopped at Ephesus and he spent a good deal of time at the church in Ephesus and ministered to them. And the day he's leaving there, the Acts chapter 20 shows, a, shows what happened the day he's departing. He's saying his goodbyes. And in parting, giving them some orders and telling them what to do as he leaves, he reminds them that what they should do, of all the things he could tell them to do, he says this in particular, make sure that you help the weak. And that, then he says, and then Jesus taught us this. And, and matter of fact, if you're looking, it's interesting, in Acts 20, you have a red letter edition Bible. There's one section, all of a sudden, there's red letters. Because he's quoting the words of Jesus. And he says, and Jesus taught us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That it reminds the church at Ephesus, and therefore reminds us as, as people who attend the church, that they were to be servants, that they were to help the weak, that, they were to, that it was blessed to give. That's all different ways of just saying that they were helping. So we see that serving others for the early church was just normal. They understood that it was part of their DNA that they were supposed to be service, servants. And that's why serve is the left leg of Portview Pete. Let's look at Pete for one second. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Pete. But Pete represents the five-fold purpose of the church that we pretty much get out of Acts chapter 2 and one of the five things, you say all the things a church could do, there's five things. We're to worship, influence others for Christ, evangelism. We're to connect authentically, that's fellowship. We're to mentor, that's discipleship. But one-fifth of it, we're to serve. We're to serve others passionately with the love of Jesus. And so this is just integrated into the very fiber, or should be integrated into the very fiber of what it means to be a Christian. 
So serving is what we're going to talk about today. But, I, but as I address the topic, I really think that we could put it on Pete and say, yeah, it's one-fifth. It's one of the five main things we need to evaluate. Are we doing this in the church? But I don't know that we really believe it to be true, that service is that important. I'm, I'm just saying it based on my experience, 25 years as a pastor. I can say, hey, we've got a need. Who can serve? And you, ever, you know, it's crickets. I can hear crickets chirping. Chirp, 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 chirp. Or what's a cricket do? Kind of like that. Because everybody's like this. We've got to serve. This is what I see. <laughs> don't make eye contact with him. If we don't make eye contact with him, he won't think we're here. You know, it's like playing peekaboo with a little child. If they do this, they think they disappeared. You know, if we don't look at him, he won't look at us. You know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying, here's what I think. I think we don't understand service. I really do. Um, I remember when as the LDR team, the leadership development team that we went through two years to say, what are the purposes of our church? Um, Kristen Welch was the one who kept saying, it's serve passionately with the love of Jesus. I don't mean to embarrass you, but I just remember that. Kristen was the one saying, this is Christianity. You know, and she was emphatic. This must be in there. And we're like, yeah, you're right. It's biblical. The early church got it. Jesus got it. Now today I want us to get it. So serving is what we're going to talk about. Now in order to get into this today, I want to approach it in a way that maybe you would think is kind of roundabout, but actually it's, it's the right way to approach it. I want to do some spiritual foundation building. I want to establish a foundation theologically upon which you will understand that service is, serving is not an optional for a child of God. I just want to lay out the theology behind it. You see, I, I want you to understand that serving with the love of Jesus isn't something we choose to do or not to do. It really isn't something like that. It's not a church activity. It's not a department of the church. Um, we don't have to have a, We shouldn't have to have a service coordinator because serving isn't a isn't supposed to be an option. It's not some activity we schedule. It's something that we choose to get involved in or don't get involved in. Serving or being a servant is what we become when we turn our lives over to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and we begin to follow Him as Savior. And that's what I want us to get today. I think that just maybe we don't understand this all that well. And it's not real typical in our Americanized thinking and version of Christianity. So let's do some spiritual foundation building today, okay? Are you with me? Are you ready to do that? You want to become what God wants you to become? You understand that means you've got to change. That means I've got to change. And so we're ready, we're ready to say, okay, God, change us. First Peter, we're going to look at a bunch of verses. First Peter, this is foundation building. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblenished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And you say, why would you possibly start there without service? Follow me here. Peter is here is talking about our salvation that all of us inherited from our forefathers, in other words, from the very fact that we're humans, we inherited, it said, a futile way of life, that all of us were born into a sin-corrupted world, and that the life we were born into, he says, was futile. He said it's empty and it's without God. That's the condition of that cute little baby you look at when they're born. That's what the Scripture says. That's the condition that child was born into. But what's it say here? But we were redeemed. 
In other words, we were purchased away from that old life of sin. And it says we were purchased with the most perfect and precious and valuable thing that there is in on all of the universe. In anything ever created by God we're, we're cre- or anything that ever could exist, um, that we were purchased with the blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. It's why we put a cross in the church. We were purchased with the blood of Jesus, that when he shed his blood on the cross, that what he was doing was paying for the debt that we all inherited from our forefathers, the sin debt that caused us to be um, separated from God and then have all of the corruption that comes as a result of that. And he says here something interesting, something that us as Americans ought to understand. He says money is not the solution. He says silver and gold can't do that. They couldn't do that. He says the only payment, the only thing that could do it was the payment of Jesus' life, that he could purchase us back, that he took our sins and gave us his righteousness, and that's what happens at salvation, and that he redeemed us. In other words, he said he paid for us. He bought us with his blood. Now, you're following with me so far. You got that part? Bought us with his blood. Now... When he did that, something very real happened. You became, even if you didn't experience it, even if you didn't realize it rather, you became different than you were before. When you came to Jesus, you asked him to forgive you of your sins, to make you a brand new person. In reality, you became different than you were before. And Colossians chapter 1 tells us how different we became. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is what it says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, When we responded to Jesus' invitation to come to him for forgiveness of our sins, that change happens. That we don't just, when we come to Christ, we don't just join a church. We don't get religion. No, we are rescued from Satan's darkness and his rule, and we are transferred into the kingdom of God, where what happens? Where we take on the spirit and the nature of the king of that new kingdom, King Jesus. That when we're transferred from the spirit of dark, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that we then take on the spirit and the nature of King Jesus. So positionally what happens is his righteousness, his character is given to us. Even if we don't know it, it's given to us when we come into his kingdom. So that when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's how come he can look at you and say, I love you, you're perfect. Because I know I'm not perfect. But he sees Jesus when he looks at me because I've been purchased by Jesus. And I'm now in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. So positionally, he gives the righteousness of Christ to me. But also, we know something, that there is an aspect where practically we are in the process of becoming more and more like Christ in character. At least you should be. You should be becoming more like Jesus every single day and every single year. And the term that we use for that is that we are progressively being sanctified meaning that progressively, little by little, progressively we're becoming more like Jesus in our life. That's what's, that's what's going on in our lives. So, now, we're going somewhere with this. Now, the key here is this. 
The reason that this is so important here is that for, for us to really understand serving, we need to get this. Because we need to understand this. We need to understand our true identity once we come to Christ. You've been changed when you come into the kingdom. You've been bought. And now you come into the kingdom and you're different. And you have a new identity. And you need to figure this out, who the, what your new identity is. question is, who or what are we really to be as those who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into God's kingdom? How are we positionally and practically becoming like Jesus? So we're becoming like him. What's that mean? We're being sanctified. What's that mean? What's our true identity look like? What's the target we're aiming at? Well, here's the answer. It's one word. We are servants. That's who you are, even if you don't know it. That's who you are. That's who you became when you came to Christ, and that's what we are becoming. Now, I understand something. I understand that as servants of Christ, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, and that we are children of God, yet that does not diminish that what we become as Christ's followers is that we become servants. And I really believe that this is so often overlooked or forgotten or ignored in, in our Americanized Christianity where everybody wants to be served, but very few understand that they're supposed to serve. Now, Jesus himself wanted to address this. He clearly communicated to his followers that if they were to follow him, then they were to follow him in the role of servant. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to read in the rest of our time two rather lengthy sections of Scripture. John 13. John chapter 13. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read down to verse 17. I want God to say this to you. The Word of God. Now, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, do not, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered, feet rather, and Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that one who was betraying him, um, for this reason he had said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done? Pay attention here. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than the master, nor is one who is sent greater than one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Look at verse 15. Jesus couldn't be more clear. He says, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. He says, serve as I have served. You see, Jesus knew that he was a servant. He knew his identity. He had earlier stated in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, he had said that he, the Son of God, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus understood his true identity. He knew he was a servant. So what did he do? He served. He understood he was a servant, so he served. There was no conflict, and this is, this is why this is so important. There was no conflict in serving for Jesus because he knew that he was a servant, and servants serve. And Jesus says then to his followers, in this very dramatic style, that's what he's trying to do, he's trying to make this dramatic point by wrapping a towel around him, washing their feet, Peter gets in his face, you're not going to do that to me, because he doesn't understand that somebody who's great could serve. And he's in dramatic style, he says, listen, I washed your feet. The lowliest of servant jobs. Now you go and do as I did. As I served, you now serve. And friends, you need to understand here. The reason there is often conflict within us when we are called on to serve is because we don't really understand our true identity in Christ. Friends, you know who you are? You are servants. And we are to serve as a servant. And that is your high and holy calling. It is a high and a holy calling to be like Jesus. So often people want to be served. They want to be celebrated. They want to be recognized. They want to be seen as great. But Jesus says just the opposite. Jesus says greatness comes through service. And that service is our, where our true identity is found even if you don't realize it. He says that's to be true. That Jesus says, that is your identity. Now, lest you think that I'm leading you astray here, grab your Bible again and look with me at how the early church fathers viewed themselves as followers of Jesus. And we're going to look sequentially at a bunch of different books, at the very first verse, at a number of different books of the Bible. So turn to Romans, first of all, the first chapter, first verse. You're going to see something that maybe you never saw before. I think I might have pointed this out one time in times past. But I think it's so eye-opening that it's not just the people of Acts, but that, that every author of every book in the New Testament understood something about their identity. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Written by who? Paul. He says his first name. He says, Paul. I'm the guy. Paul. And he identifies himself. Paul. A bondservant of Christ, Jesus. Called that as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. I think he understood something. Flip now to the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who were dispersed abroad. Greetings. I think James understood something about who he was. Let's look at Peter, look at Second Peter with me. Second Peter one one. 
We're going in order, trying to follow along. We're just sequentially going through books. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Remember, these are guys talking about who they are. They are describing themselves. Move on. The book of Jude. Book, the, la- the last little book before the book of Revelation. Jude. How does Jude think of himself? Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Christ Jesus. I think Jude understood who he was. One more, a couple pages further. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his, beloved, to his bond servants the things much, 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 which must soon take place, he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. You think these people understood something about themselves? Do you think that, here's the thing, they're the church leaders. They're the ones who, are, who, who people want to put on pedestals and celebrate. And you know what? They were great men and they did great things and they had great authority and they had great giftings from God. But in all of that greatness, they understood something. Their identity in Christ was that they were servants. That their gods, they identified with Jesus and said, He served, so I am not just to serve, I am a servant. And that's the difference. Their identity, they understood, they were servants. And friends, we must see our true identity in Christ. We are servants as He is a servant. And what do servants do? Servants serve. That's what a servant does. Now, I'm making a really strong point about this. And I'm going to tell you a main, a one huge reason why today. Other than the fact that until you know your identity, you'll never be happy. You will bristle with serving your whole life if you don't understand that you're a servant. You'll always feel like you're doing something you don't want to do or something you're not supposed to do. You are a servant and servants serve. And so when you understand your identity, you just understand. That's what servants do. They serve and you'll do it with joy. But there's another reason why serving is so important. Why it's so important is this. Because the gospel, the real gospel, is two-sided. The real gospel is truth and proof. It's truth and proof. You see something, you need to understand something that's going on right now, been going on for a long time, and a lot of times the church world doesn't want to be honest about it. The world around you doesn't really care what we, the church, has to say about anything anymore. Don't lie to yourself. We've been marginalized. We're ignored. It doesn't matter. This is the first political cycle where the political cycle in America finally understood they don't need to care about what evangelical Christianity has to say. It's the first time they've understood that we exaggerated our influence, we exaggerated our size, and they finally took it to task and said, we will prove to you that we don't care. And so now they slam it in our face over and over time. You watch the news and you see the world around you doesn't care. They don't. That, that, that the mar- they have marginalized the church. Interestingly, just like the first early church was marginalized. Nobody cared about the early church. They hated them. They, they burned, Nero burned them as torches, early Christians. The early church was completely marginalized. We're getting, I think we're getting back to a great position. I really do. I think we're getting back to a position where we can actually influence culture again. See, we as a church have truth coming out of our ears. 
We're the most well-resourced, best-preached, most, most um, uh, um, educated group of Christians on the, in the history of the world. We've got so many books and seminars and classes. Never before in history has it been like this before. We have truth coming out of our ears, and it's not impacting our community for a reason, because no one's listening. That's just the truth. Now, am I saying we don't need truth? We absolutely need truth. We need to know God's word in and out. We need to stand on it. We need truth. But we also need proof. And listen to me here. If you want to ever write down one sentence that I believe will transform your thinking, it's this. Loving, helpful acts of service are proof to the world around us that our truth is worth worth listening to. Loving, helpful acts of service are proof to the world around us that our truth is worth listening to. You know what it says? Serving says? It says we have been changed by the truth that we say we believe in. Imagine with me for a second this. Imagine Jesus going into towns and villages during his public ministry proclaiming the truth of the gospel without accompanying his proof by helping and healing and feeding and encouraging. You wouldn't have the gospel. Everywhere he went, he preached truth, but what did he also do? Everywhere he went, he proved his, what he had to say. He proved by helping and healing and feeding and encouraging. And think of it. Do you really think people would have listened to him and followed him if he didn't do that? We know they wouldn't have because he said to them, the only reason you follow me is because I feed you. He gave the answer. He proved it by what he did. You see, the gospel is truth and proof. And if God is going to transform our community, if he's going to transform your family, if he's going to do it through us, then those people who don't know him yet, our friends and our family and our neighbors, they're going to first have to listen to us. And the doorway to anyone listening to the truth is the proof of your love for them. That's what serving others with the love of Jesus is meant to do. It's a door opener. It's a validator. That's why Saturday morning, I don't mean to embarrass them, but that's why Saturday morning, me and my boys, Saturday mornings, we go out to a bagel shop and we are going through a book together called A Dude's Guide to Manhood. And so we talk about it. We read it and we go together and we talk about Dude's Guide to Manhood. And it's a spiritual formation book. And who likes to get up on Saturday mornings early? Nobody. Gary, you're the only one. (laughs) Okay, three of you, four of you, okay, four of you. Me and my boys don't. But there was a need. Somebody needed to serve. We got a lady's house whose stuff needed to be moved. And guess what happened? Saturday morning, we got up earlier. We still did our dude's guide to manhood. We went out to the bagel shop early, and we drank our coffee, and we ate our bagels, and we talked about our book, and we talked about life. And then we together went and we... We uh, served somebody who needed their stuff moved. Um, I'm not saying that to, to elevate my boys at first. I'm not sure if they wanted to do it or not. But you know what I understand? And I understood? We had no option. Because serve and serve. And I'm bringing it up for a reason. And again, plug your ears, Josh and Brett. And I say this for a reason, though. Because Mark quoted it today. He said that I've always said the jury's still out on your kids. They've got to prove it. I'm seeing it proven in their lives. 
one of the reasons is is because we chose to go move a, move a single lady's stuff on Saturday morning instead of going and doing a hundred other things we could have done that were a lot more fun. I'm just giving you a parenting lesson today. You want your kids to, to serve God? Teach them to serve. You're helping them identify their identity. It shouldn't be unusual for a Christian to serve. I'm not saying that. You know, in fact, we didn't need anybody else on Saturday. I have no axe to grind. We couldn't have had any more else. We're all standing in line getting up the steps. We had a lot, didn't we, Clem? We had a lot of servants. Any more trucks, any more helpers wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have needed any more. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about in life. If you want to help your kids understand their true identity in Christ, stop pampering them and ser- help and lead them in service. Don't tell them to serve. Lead them serving. And then they'll understand who they're supposed to be in Christ. Serving is a door opener and a validator. God want, he wants us to understand who we are. This is why Jesus is a servant. And this is why he said we are servants. When we serve, it propels and empowers the gospel's truth. It is the proof that what we say is real. It reveals, understand this, it reveals that the gospel is strong enough to turn a selfish, lost person into a loving, serving person. The world knows you before Christ. They know you're selfish. Remember how the Bible described you? You were lost and separated and selfish. But when you come to Jesus and you're a lost and separated and selfish person and he buys you with his blood and he gives you a new identity, he goes, you were selfish, now you're a servant. And you begin to live out your identity. Those people who knew the before... They look at the after and they go, what that guy's truth must be right because he's literally becoming a different person. He's literally acts different. Now when he would have selfishly said, well, this is what I want to do, now he's saying, what do you want to do? How can I serve you? That's appealing to the world. It shows the level of transformation that comes from meeting Jesus. Now, that ought to be motivation enough to make us want to serve. But there's another reason that is even more compelling, I think, than this. And it's one that, that I can honestly say this. It's the reason, it's, it's when you look at a verse of, section of Scripture, that has probably been, of all this, the whole Bible, two or three sections, you know, two or three sections are your anchor that have transformed your thinking. This is one of the very few that transformed my thinking since the time I first came to know Jesus. And it's this. When I serve, I actually literally meet Jesus. You see, people want to come to church, and I'll explain it in a minute. They want to come to church, and they want to say, let's sing and dance, and I'm all for worshiping. Let's sing and dance, and let's have these great experiences at the altar, all this stuff going on. Why? What are they saying? I want to meet Jesus, right? The Bible doesn't say that's where you meet Jesus. I'm not saying you don't meet Jesus, because we do meet him in his place. But the Bible tells us where you can meet Jesus. And it doesn't say it's here. It says it's out there serving. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Look with me in Matthew chapter 25. I want you to see from God's word what God says about how you can meet him. Here's one of the sections of scriptures I have to be sure I don't go to all the time because it was up to me. I'd read it every week. Because it's really formed my entire thinking. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Really familiar section of scripture. But sometimes we overlook this really key two verses in it. And it's one says it in the positive, one says it in the negative. 
chapter 30, verse 25, 31, Matthew. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, in other words, friends, he's coming back. Then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. In verse 41, then he'll also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they, will, they, they themselves also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these You did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Look closely at verse 40. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Did it to me is underlined in red ink in my Bible. Has been forever. See, when we minister to other people, we often say things like this. We say this. It's common. We say, we are being Jesus to them, right? Or, we are Jesus' hands and feet to them. And that is true. We do reveal Jesus' love when we serve. That's what we've been saying. But that's not what Matthew says here. That's not what Matthew says about service for us. Matthew says... It's not those to whom we minister to who meet Jesus. It's the ones who are doing the ministering who meet Jesus. You understand the difference? We say, I'm Jesus' hands and feet, and Matthew goes, no, you misunderstand it. He says, it's not the ones you're ministering to who see Jesus. It's those who are doing the ministering, the serving, who meet Jesus. We're not Jesus to them. They are Jesus to to us. Verse 40. You did it to me, to Jesus. And notice something about who he said he did it to. Jesus calls them, it's interesting, these brothers of mine. He's saying something about humanity that I think is, is so interesting. He's saying that humanity, these brothers of mine, humanity people, they're united to Christ. That they are his family, he's saying they're brothers. They're his family, they're his creation, that people are his love. And he's saying that as you meet them, 
you meet him. You understand that? That as you meet them, others, you actually meet Jesus. And I'll tell you this, this truth will, will change how you serve. Suddenly when you serve, the church is an opportunity. You're going to go to City and a Hill. We're going to do, we go down there periodically, do their monthly health day, and we feed the homeless, we do stuff. Suddenly, you know what happens? You're not giving cake to some welfare guy. That's what you think of him as, some welfare guy. That's what you think in your heart. Because we live in Ozaki County. Well, if you just got a job, if that guy just got a job, he wouldn't be here. Well, first of all, that might be true. Second of all, you have no clue because you weren't born in his circumstances. God slapped me in the head one day. I was brand new preparing for ministry. My first year of Bible college, I was an assistant chaplain in a juvenile um, violent offenders prison in Louisiana. And I had, that, I had that attitude. I was the great white hope. I was the only white guy in the whole place. I was the answer man. They should have appreciated that I was there. And one day I was praying with a guy, talking to him. They, they, they couldn't have cared less most of the time, although I seen a lot, saw a lot of them get saved and filled with spirit. And I said to a guy, what's your story? And I probably told you this before. And he said to me, well, my mom was a prostitute, and she would keep me in the room when she would turn tricks with all these strangers. And one night, one of the guys started beating my mom, and the guy had a gun, so I took the gun and shot the guy and killed him. And that's why I'm in here. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me as Cruz Bell and said, Mark, you would have done the same thing. Had I been born in his situation, had the same situation, I'd be there. And the Lord showed me, you arrogant little punk. Who do you think you are? Change me. Change me. Suddenly, they're not the welfare guy. Suddenly, there's somebody who God loves. And you know what? Maybe part of their choice, I don't know that. Maybe they chose to do drugs. I don't know that. But you know what I do know is Jesus, he says, they're united with him. Maybe it's uh, you're helping a, a, a single mom move her stuff on a Saturday morning. And you're saying, you know, I would have, why didn't she have this organized different or whatever? Why does she need help? You don't have a clue. Jesus doesn't look at it like that. You see people differently. You see Jesus in them. You feel Jesus' love for them. We have to see people differently, friends. We need to see Jesus in people's eyes. Then we will willingly and happily serve the Jesus that's in them. Who gave everything for you? Because remember, he's the one who rescued you when you were lost and separated and without hope. You see, you touch Jesus when you touch another person in need. You really do. That's what Jesus' words are to us. You can't mistake them. There's no other way to explain them. Jesus said, help one of them, even the least of these, and you've done it to me. I want to tell you something that motivates me to serve. When I serve, I actually meet Jesus. I'm going to say, share something. I don't, again, I'm saying this multiple times. I don't mean to embarrass people. But we walked up to move Laura yesterday, and she didn't know who's all going to be there. And we're walking up, and she's knocking on the window of the second floor, waving, like, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I saw Jesus. That's what I thought. That is what I thought when I looked up at her in the window. I saw Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus was saying, thanks for helping. That's the honest truth, yesterday morning. Now, I could have done a lot of other things, but you know what? I wouldn't have seen Jesus. I did yesterday. That motivates me to serve. 
and think it will change our lives when we get a hold of it. Let me close with one last thing about service. Because we're good, I'm, I'm a master at this, we're good at making excuses. Finding where and how to serve simply requires opening up your eyes, opening up your ears to the needs around you. Look at verses 35 and 36 of Matthew 25. Jesus did this on purpose to take away our excuses. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice something of what he says. None of these things listed require great skill or great resources. A meal, a shirt, an hour of your time, a visit. The needs are all around us. And Jesus calls his followers to serve those in need. And as we do, we prove the gospel and we meet Jesus. And friends, that's what I want for me. A life of service, I'm telling you, I'm all in. And I hope that each and every one of us is all in. Because that's where we really meet Christ. That's where the joy, the the abiding experience of being in Christ becomes real. That's what Jesus says. Right? Stand with me this morning. I want to just pray for us today. And after I'm done praying, giving people an opportunity to respond, I just encourage you, if you desire to, you feel that desire that you just want to talk to God about the topic today, spend some time at the altars praying, spend some time in your chair praying. Join me in praying this morning. God, I pray for our church family, starting with me. God, I pray for us today. Lord, you understand more than we do the grid that we look at the world through. Father, we have been raised in a culture that is so me-focused, and we, God, we're just products of it. We know it. But we want to be transformed by the truth of your word. God, we want to become the kind of people that you want us to become. And so, God, I would ask right now for a gift for every person in this place a gift that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears that have been trained to overlook the needs around us in the church and out of the church and that you would empower us to see the needs and then you would equip us and propel us to passionately serve those around us. Lord, we see from Scripture clearly it's one of the main purposes of your church. It's one of the reasons you organized your church. And God, I pray for a shift in our spirits, a rewiring in our thinking, that we would understand that when we, when we understand we've been bought by you, that you make us different and what you make us different into is servants 
and that serving is a high and holy calling with an incredible gift attached. The gift of seeing you, of really experiencing you. God, let the lies of the world fall away. Chisel away at the things we believe that are wrong. And help us, God, to embrace the truth of your word so that we'd be different. For your glory, God, and for our pleasure. Because I believe you want us to enjoy being in you. For our pleasure of getting to really know you the way you designed your, that you've designed us to meet with you through service. We, we surrender to your word. We pray, God, help it bring transformation into our lives.